Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Bobby Braddock is back on the Paul Leslie Hour. He was the last guest of 2019, and it's an honor to have him back. Bobby Braddock is the only living songwriter to have written number one country songs and count them one, two, three, four, five decades. An inductee of the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's mostly known as a songwriter, but his other hats include producer, recording artist, he says with a little encouragement, a performer, but the hat he's come to wear more and more is author. His latest book is Country Music's Greatest Lines, Lyrics, Stories, Sketches from American Classics, and it's an illustrated book, illustrated by Carmen Beecher, and I'm holding it in my hands right now. It is an exploration of 80 country masterpieces. 81. (laughs) There's a lot of great stories in there, and Carmen Beecher does a wonderful job bringing the stories to life. And I'm just going to read a quote from the back of the book. The great podcaster and author Malcolm Gladwell says, One of country music's greatest songwriters has given us his own private tour of the collective genius of his profession. I read the book, then I realized how much wonderful music I've missed. So, Bobby, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Good to talk to you again. It's a real honor. We had no idea when we talked in Nashville what was uh, coming (laughs) down the river. Oh, oh my God. I don't (laughs) think anybody did. (laughs) No. Well, I'm curious to know. Is 2020 a good time for you as far as writing songs? Is it a productive time to write? I am doing a lot of songwriting, and maybe songwriting I would not have done had it not been for being so isolated, you know? Now, would I trade the songwriting to life to be back to normal? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I hate this. I don't know anybody who doesn't. Yeah. It's just... It's just... uh, You have to adapt to it and live a new kind of life, you know? Absolutely. Well, one of the things that a lot of people out there are doing in this crazy year of 2020 is they're reading a lot of books. So thank you for this book, Country Music's Greatest Lines. What was the experience like for you taking a close look at these classic songs from country music? Well... I've had the concept for a while because I know when songwriters get together, they start talking about this great line from such and such song and that great line. And I just thought a collection of those lines might be nice. And so initially I was thinking about photographs. I was even thinking about, I used to be kind of an amateur photographer and I was thinking, I'm going to go out and take a bunch of pictures. But I needed so much specificity like I'm one line might inspire a certain kind of picture or maybe a picture of the, the, the recording artist because everybody always likes to see 
celebrities, you know, and maybe some pictures of seldom seen, seldom seen songwriters. And and I happened to think of someone I'd known since I was a teenager. She was my first cousin's best friend, and she uh, she retired not too long ago as a graphic artist. She and I were both born and raised in the Polk County, Florida, and both of us brought up in little orange grove towns in the same county. And and uh, she has been a graphic artist at, at the space the space center area around Cape Kennedy, Florida, Melbourne, Cocoa, Tinnisville. Working for the Air Force for years and years and years and her bucket list was uh she retired, she wanted to sell her paintings, you know, uh on the internet. And that's what she's been doing. She's a wonderful artist. And not known as well for sketches and drawings as paintings, but oh my God, she's as good at this as she is painting, if not better. Because as you can see, this whenever there's a picture of a celebrity, you know it, you know in a nanosecond who it is. I mean, because these pictures are lifelike. So that's the experience I've got out of this is 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 not only telling these songs, these stories about the songs and how they were written, the story behind the songs. And whenever I can put myself in real time, like me coming into it, walking into a, a session when people were writing this hit song, those kind of little stories, I think people like to get the feeling of being somewhere in real time. The big thrill for me was having these ideas and seeing them come vividly to life. You know, she brought my ideas to, to life, what I was seeing. Uh, she... She would draw a picture. I would tell her of a lot of specificity of what I wanted, and she always got exactly what I wanted, only better. Blew me away every time I'd see her finished picture. So this is a... We joke about people, you know, until somebody say, well, you'd like this book. It's got a lot of pictures. Well, this one's got a lot of pictures. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pictures, and, and they're, they're very, very well done. I think uh, the artwork is... I mean this in the absolute biggest compliment. I think that graphic novels and comic books are one of the most underrated art forms, and I would really stress I love the word art there. And her detail, like you said, you look at certain singers and you know exactly who it is, but then there's some cleverness. Like, for example, I was looking at the picture that comes with the song Killing Time, and it's just it's done so well. You look up and the guy, he's got the, the bottle of beer in his hand and he's looking up and the woman's face is in the moon. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the face in the moon looks kind of like Taylor Swift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I told her to put Taylor Swift in the moon because we've had her in a couple of pictures. I think a good example of what this is, I would describe it this way. When you open the book up on both, and you have you you have the the joining pages. On the left page is a narrative I've written. Uh, at the top is almost kind of like a headline, the, the the song line that stands out. And then the name of the song, the writer and the artist recorded. And I write a little narrative about it. It may be what I know about the song being written. Maybe something I saw, or or, or it could be. It could maybe a little bit more about the songwriter, sometimes the artist. And this is an example, if I may. There's 
Harlan Howard, whose songs are in this book, more, there are seven Harlan Howard songs, and, and there's five Hank Wayden songs. <laughs> this starts out in the 1940s, and it goes chapter by chapter to present day. A present day writer artist like Taylor Swift, Eric Church, Alan Jackson. Uh, and the great Harlan Howard had this song that was a big pop hit for Brenda Lee in the 1960s, and then a number one country hit for the Forrester Sisters in the 1980s called Too Many Rivers. And the line I chose for that was, and I love this line, when you try to put love back together, there's always a few little pieces you can't find. And so in my narrative, I ended it by saying, Harlan's great line tells the truth about those long-lost elements that can never be found when attempting to resurrect an old romance, like the missing pieces of a puzzle. And for the picture, I had Carmen draw this good-looking young couple in this passionate embrace, and I said, draw them on a jigsaw puzzle, and at the bottom of the puzzle, have it coming apart and the little pieces falling down. And that's what she did. Now, that's my favorite, that's my favorite uh, uh, drawing in the book, I think, is that one. That's, that's that's pretty much how the book goes. I mean, it's got a narrative on the left and a matching picture on the right. So was there anything that you learned or was there anything that changed your perspectives on country music by taking a close look at 80 years of some of the best songs that have ever been written? Yeah, that's, that's true. And as a long span, I'd, I'd say late 40s to, yeah, 73, 73, 74 years, starting out with those was on Hank Williams classics, and, and well, one thing, a great song is a great song whenever it's written, you know. And I think there, I noticed too that I hear a lot of, I hear a lot of older people say they can't stand the country music now. You know, it's not real country. But I remind them, I say, those songs though that you don't like. Some of these young people who like this song, this, that's the music of their lives. It's the songs they're falling in love to, and it's uh, it's a song that's going to trigger great memories of what they were doing, you know, when they were younger. Probably songs that we were hearing when we were that age. They were, I remember there were old fogies that didn't like that kind of music. You know, it's just sort of the way it goes. You wouldn't want music to just be stagnant and never change. It's always evolving, you know. And I find uh, among the new stuff, there's a lot of it I don't care for, but there's always been songs I don't care for. There's always been songs I love, and there's still songs that I love, you know. So the illustrator of this book, Carmen Beecher, how would you describe her? It's just very, very witty and engaging. And we're both the same age. <laughs> I just told her, I said, this would be funny. At the time, I thought there would be a book tour, you know. didn't know this would be a pandemic, of course. And, and I said, that should get people's attention. These two codgers going out, you know, <laughs> doing, doing a book signing together. <laughs> and and uh, she's just a lovely woman. And in spite of her advanced age, <laughs> she, she she's still very good looking. She was always a knockout. And her husband has been very supportive of this and, and helped us. It's, it's just been a pleasure. I'm doing it long distance, me from Tennessee and her from Florida. But I would send, I'd send her 
pictures off the internet and I'll say, do this to look like this, do that to look like such and such. And join the famous people so we wouldn't have a copyright issue instead of her just copying a picture of someone like Patsy Klein or Brooks and Dunn or Ray Charles or Blake Shelton. I would have her look at a lot of pictures and say, get your own angle from this, you know. And she would figure that out, and it would always work out so good. So for somebody who picks up a copy of this book, Country Music's Greatest Lines, is there something that you want the reader to get from the experience of the book? Joy and pleasure. (laughs) And maybe a little education, because a lot of the younger people who love country music now quite naturally and normally they would not know a lot of these older songs and the people who love classic country they might uh, see some songs that they're curious about and you know want to go to YouTube or go download them and, 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 and listen to them and so I think it's kind of a, a well, I say an ed- education not like I'm real smart teacher and they don't know anything because I'm always getting educated. There's so much I don't know about, and I I want to learn about it. And I'm constantly searching out music I've never heard before. I love I love hearing songs from 100, 120 years ago, recorded music. You know, yeah, they were making making records in 1900, 1905. Some of it was on cylinders. Some of them were on, I guess you could call them wax, and, and some of them, you know, there's some brittle records like the old 78s. And, and, uh, it's just, it's a good way to, to, to people who are interested in country music to maybe just run across some stuff that, that, that they've known about and maybe they can know even a little more about it, you know. And I've had more people tell me that this book has sent them not, not looking, you know, for the music and to listen to some of the music. Well, I can say personally that the book has done that. I was born in the 80s, and I was surprised. Well, maybe I wasn't that surprised, but I knew more of the old songs than I knew the the newer ones, but there were so many of the modern songs that I listened to carefully, and I thought, wow, I'm glad that this was in the book because, man, did I really enjoy it. Yeah, they're... uh, And because it was just easier for me to access this and... And get the lyrics and find out who 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 wrote some of these things. That all these songs are from the company that I write for, Sony. I started out writing for Tree Publishing Company. Sony came along and bought them, and Sony bought up a lot of companies like Acuff Rose. They bought ATV Music, Michael Jackson Company, which included the, the Beatles catalog. So. Sony, about thirty-five percent of the music that's ever been recorded is now Sony. So, so I had access to a lot of that. So, by using just Sony songs, just trying to stay on that trajectory. There's some songs on there that I really love that aren't in the book, and some people say, "Well, why don't you have so and so songs in there? Why don't you have any of Garth Brooks songs in there?" Well, because he was not Sony, and if it had been just about everybody songs, Garth Brooks definitely would would have been in there. But there's so many big stars who've recorded Sony songs and so many big songs in the catalog. It was a good way for me to gather them up and have, you know, you know, a lot of hit songs.
I'd be curious to get your take on this. This wasn't a song in the book, but something that occurred to me a while ago. If you listen to a lot of the country songs from uh, the 30s and the 40s, they're kind of similar in some ways to the jazz songs of that era. For example, a song like Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. There's something of the American songbook in that song. What do you think of that? Yeah, that was that was Fred Rose, who uh, partnered with Acuff Rose Publishing Company with Roy Acuff, and they're now in part of the Sony catalog, so I was able to put a bunch of Hank Williams songs in there. And Fred Rose signed Hank Williams, and, of course, Hank Williams went on to be the first artist, writer, touring superstar. And he was. He was a giant in the 40s and early 50s. Died at 29 years old. And Fred Rose was his publisher. And I think a lot of times Hank would write a song, and Fred was a seasoned songwriter himself, and he would doctor it a little bit, maybe maybe polish it a little bit. And every once in a while, his name would appear on a song with Hank, like Elijah. And when you saw his name on there as co-writer, then you know he did write, probably wrote a lot of, a lot of that song. But yes, what you say is, is true, and especially when they call the father of modern country music, Jimmy Rogers, some of the, st- I mean, country music was not really clearly defined then, and as to what instruments we'd be playing on, they were usually guitars, you know, for sure, fiddles. But Jimmy Rogers recorded a lot of his stuff with the Dixieland Jazz Band. A lot of those, old, and they were blues song, and they were influenced. He was from Mississippi. They were influenced by by black music considerably. Hank Williams was too. One of my favorite Hank Williams things was it was not it was not in this catalog because he he didn't write it, but it was a song from the 1920s, and it's it's uh, uh, called My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. And it was like kind of a hit. I think it was on Broadway maybe in 1920 or 21, and it's the only record that Hank Williams did that had him playing a guitar solo on. And Hank learned to play guitar from this uh, black street singer named T-Tot. I don't know if that was in his hometown of Georgiana, Alabama, or where he lived with his mother in Montgomery. But I think it was Georgiana. And he learned from T-Tot. And boy, you can tell it, because you hear those African-American guitar things on the, the rhythm and blues records from the 1940s, and that's exactly what Hank Williams is playing. I mean, my bucket's got a hole in it. You hear a acoustic guitar taking a blues solo on there, that's Hank Williams. And they recorded that in Cincinnati, Ohio in uh, 1949 on the same session where they cut, I won't, I'm so lonesome I could cry. Very interesting stuff. I'm curious to know, you went from writing songs, and then on the last two books, they were autobiographical. What was the experience like for you to go from that to writing about other people and other songs? Well, my first two books, to me, they're not they're not autobiographies. But to me, the autobiographies are written by famous people. 
I'm behind the scenes guy, you know. Unless, <laughs> unless you really are a hardcore country music fan or, or songwriter, you know, people are not going to know who Bobby Brannock is. But I look at him as a memoir. In other words, it's the world through my eyes. And the first was maybe, the first one was a childhood, uh, uh, it was a, a youth memoir about growing up in a little small town in central Florida when my father was a citrus grower. And uh, probably more about me and family and friends in that book. In the second, in the second book, it's uh, Bobby Braddock, A Life on Nashville's Music Road. The first one was called uh, Down in Auburndale, which is a lo- local redneck pronunciation for Auburndale. This is before Disney World, and the old town I was from was very, very southern, and the area was very, the county I'm from was was the leading citrus-producing county in the United States. Polk County, Florida, produced more citrus than the entire state of California. And uh, the second one, Bobby Braddock, Alaphil, Nashville's Music Row, was like I said, the world through my eyes. It was like little mini biographies of, of people like Marty Robbins, who I played piano for, or George Jones, who recorded 29 of my songs, and a lot about Blake Shelton, who I kind of discovered and, and produced for a few years, cut several hits on him. And so I feel like it's it's full of oh, many biographies about a lot of interesting people. And not all of them famous. I mean, some real characters. So you're right. This third book is, is very different. And actually, it, it was it's a little easier to write, you know. It's not... Uh, I say it's got pictures in there, so it's not, it's got pictures, so there's not as not as many words in it. It's a normal sized book because half of its pictures, the the part you read is kind of like half a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the first time we the first interview that we did at the end of last year, that was a, such a great experience for me to to be in the Sony ATV Music Building on Music Square. And I'll always remember afterwards riding in the car with you and driving around Nashville. That was a lot of fun for me. And so I just, uh, I want to. That's me getting lost in the city I've lived in my entire <laughs> adult life. <laughs> but Nashville's growing so fast, it's ever changing, you know. If you just disappear for a month and come back, it's like, where am I? There's all these new buildings. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it is construction central, that's for sure. As always, I like to give the guest the stage at the end. I know that there's a lot of people who are listening to this. We have to stay connected with one another in whatever way we can. So what would you say to anyone who is tuned in? About anything in particular, or the times that we're living in, I say try to love each other a little bit more. Try to have a little respect for other people's opinion, even if you think their opinion is crazy. And don't lose friends over politics. Please don't mm. do that. And let's just let's just be nicer to let's be nicer to each other. I think have a nicer that that might sound idealistic, you know, or hippy dippy or something. But I don't know. I just I like it better. It's interesting. There's some people I've known for a long time, and I don't even know what their politics are, and I don't want to know what their politics are. I just, I just want to judge them, and them to judge me on just what kind of human beings we are, you know. And 
we'll get through this. We'll get through this thing. Let's just. There's some people who are getting through it better than we are, you know, and I I envy them because, good gosh, I want this thing to end. It's just. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it's not good for anybody. It's not nobody is liking it. And it's not good for anybody. And I appreciate you letting me get on here and talk about country music's greatest lines. My pleasure. Getting local bookstores stores or order from Amazon or whatever. It's it's on sale now. <laughs> Absolutely. They can go to Amazon.com. There's also HistoryPress.com. Yeah. And Bobby Braddock's website is BobbyBraddock.com. Yeah, it'll be up in about the website from the new book will be up within within a couple of days. You can go in there and, and, and in fact see some of the pictures and narratives, get a little preview of that. I'd say by Friday it should be up. BobbyBrack.com All right. Unless you might have, have me over. Thank you so much. All righty. You take care, be safe, and, and uh, look forward to talking to you or seeing you better yet on down the road. Absolutely. Hang in there, sir. Until next time. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.